Alright everybody, thanks for tuning back into the Angry Man's Carousel. My next guest is Ashley Hess. Ash uh, is what we call him. Uh, he is an old friend of mine. I've known this guy for 15 years. The guy is a tactical and firearms expert. Uh, he is a shooting instructor, I believe currently. And he has a lifetime full of experience and knowledge. So if you enjoy hearing old war stories, enjoy talking about cars or Mountain Dew or cigarettes or anything related to guns, this is your fucking episode right here. This dude, he is a wealth of information, and I'm very happy to call him my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, the motherfucking great Ash Hess. So I've actually got him live now here on the phone. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the wonderful, the beautiful Ash S. Ash, how's it going, brother? Going good. Much good down here in Florida. Are you in Florida? Yeah, Florida. It's horrible being on the coast. Oh, I'm sure. All those sunsets and beaches and uh, dolphins, I, I'm sure it's a rough go for you. Yeah, it's horrible. It's been like... <laughs> over 70 degrees since like i don't know december yeah yeah actually we, we got a lot of that too uh i just started about a year ago uh trying to garden for the first time like a fucking schmuck i'm out there with my stupid little jersey gloves and uh you know my my flip-flops that don't fit me and all the wrong gardening tools i'm sure and this year we went from freezing our tits off uh, figuratively and in some cases literally, uh, to basically having to refill our, our cars with Freon and uh, a good amount of my crops didn't even have a fucking shot. So it's been, been kind of weird. Yeah, but you guys still have winter. We don't have that down here. I do love my winter. I do love my winter. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, n- nobody else seems to like it. Oh my god, it's snowing. What are we going to do? I-, I can't drive to work in this. It's a fucking inch on the ground, all right? Pull your sack up and just get behind that wheel. Don't be a bitch. All right, so uh, you and I know quite a bit about driving in, uh, in challenging conditions, don't we? You know what I'm talking about. Yep. So for yeah, the- luckily you had to drive, drive most of the time. I did. I did drive most of the time, and and probably probably a lot more badly than I remember. But for those people who actually don't know what the hell we're talking about, um, uh, you and I spent uh, it wasn't quite a year, I guess. Well, no, yeah, yeah, actually, it was uh, the entire time uh, we made the road march in two thousand three from Kuwait City to Fallujah, and God knows I can't remember all those fucking cities. I half of them I can't pronounce on the on the road march to Baghdad during the war. And you and I spent a year together, and what would you say about probably four to six months of that in a truck together? So tell everybody exactly uh, what kind of hell your life was at that time while I was driving for you. <laughs> it, it, it was horrible. Uh, no, no, you did. Yeah. yeah, we had, uh, we had what, 72 hours notice uh, that we were going to Iraq. Basically, they told us on a, what, a Tuesday, Tuesday, something like that, Monday, Tuesday, um, and the, and three days later we got on an airplane, we landed in Kuwait 
by the time the sun came up, we pulled the trucks off the airplane, um, got got ammunition that we'll probably talk about later, and started following or chasing down the guys that had made it on the 27th of March. So we got there, I don't know, it was like the 28th, 29th, when we finally got into theater. Mm-hmm. Pretty, it, was, it was definitely March, so it was... No, no earlier, no late, later than like the 30th. By the time we crossed the border, and we went to all the cool places in Iraq. We went to Najaf. We went to uh, Samoa, and then we linked up at the airport with those guys who tried to steal all of our cigarettes. Um, Did somebody try and, and steal our cigarettes? Yeah, the uh, I think you were on the other truck. Because I was still on fucking Zabel's truck or whatever that douchebag's name was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, Sergeant Hunter. Yeah. Staff Sergeant Hunter, yeah. Yeah. But the Bradley guys were trying to, the third, third ID guys acted like they'd been at theater for like 72 years. It was like we just showed up to the war and they'd been doing it for like, you know, 48 hours. <laughs> right. Uh, and they're just like, oh, we need smokes, we need this, we need that. And just like, fuck off, man. You haven't been here that long. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, I, I specifically remember running out of smokes, and my dumbass thought, oh, well, we're not going to be there this long. But, Jesus, we stayed so long, and we were so bored, uh, you know, during our downtime, that we smoked like chimneys, at least I did. And I remember giving a guy a $20 bill for a pack of menthols. That was so fucking hard up. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, and then, then we got to the cigarette factory that had millions of cigarettes that were all dried out and unsmokable. <laughs> they were so bad. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, that was my... <sighs> Yeah, I... Yeah, I mean, in, in, uh, in Solder City, um, and anybody that's listening, you put, put solder in the, in the Google box and, and you get, get some interesting stuff. That, that was a that was a cool town that turned much cooler after we were there. But when you say I was in Sutter City, the dudes that came later, they're just like, "Oh shit, man, that was crazy!" And you're just like, oh, "Yeah, yeah, it was. It was Sutter City, man. You just leave it at that." But they think it's, uh, you know, but but Sutter did get after we left. Sutter did get pretty shitty. Yeah, I That's heard. Kind of weird. I I heard that. I heard that. Yeah. Well, sorry. Yep, sorry. Really sorry. I think I think we have a bit of I think we have a bit of a delay with the with the cell phone. It's probably my fault. But uh, go ahead and finish what you're talking about. You're good. Yeah. Then we uh, when we got to solder, we relieved the Marine Corps, and that, that was that was interesting because over the after after our back, I did three more deployments, and it was just weird that first time. You know, doing a battle handover with the Marines, and then doing it again in other places and, you know, in Afghanistan when we, when we talk about one of the, one of the incidents there, the Marines really helped out. So it was, just, it was just weird that, and I think it was the same battalion that just kept running into the same battalion of Marines over, over the course of the, over the course of the career. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest, the biggest thing, the biggest problem I had with, uh, um, with, uh, the Marines, whenever they took off, um, uh, it, it wasn't the fact that everyone around the comp had 
compound absolutely hated our fucking guts for weeks, in some cases months. It wasn't necessarily the fact that they left fucking MRE trash all over the place. There were shit piles, as far as the eye could see, that were not cleaned up, not even close. And we basically acted like underpaid janitors for a long while after they took off. So that part was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they left us with shit everywhere, and there was, wasn't a crayon in sight. And they, the Marines were just, they, they just left everything shitty because they didn't care at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know. Uh, you, I, you can't be the baddest motherfuckers on the planet without leaving a fucking mess wherever you go, apparently. Well, I don't know. Apparently, that's part of the deal. But, uh, oh, you and I had a lot of fun over there. Um, uh, there there were several moments that probably didn't necessarily seem very fun. Um, and for, for the, I've been, I've been pre- preparing this statement for a long time. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, uh, I was a douchebag 25-year-old, and I greatly apologize for being such a pain in your NCO ass <laughs> the entire time we were there, for what little that's worth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it was good. Uh, the the things that we did, I mean, we had some, and I don't want to delve too much into the, into the platoon friction, but we basically had two different types of personalities in the platoon. We had the we had the the fat, dumb, and lazy, you know, the other crews, uh, and then we had our crews, and you know, I still talk to to CJ Ritchie, and I still talk to to Elliot, and still talk to most everybody that was in our you know things, but the other half of the platoon, those we we just didn't we didn't mesh. Uh, having having built platoons, like I said, I did three more deployments. So I built platoons and took platoons over there. That was one of the things that I tried to avoid because everybody was young. Everybody, you know, nobody had a fucking clue what was going on. We'd never done war before. I remember fucking Fast Sergeant Moore. You remember his his switch that he was talking about? When we crossed the border, I got a switch. When we crossed the border, I looked back and that motherfucker was reading a Tom Clancy novel while we're driving down the road going into war. Yeah, yeah, and, I, I, I seem to remember that the, the vast majority of his time uh, spent uh, basically uh, keeping Copenhagen in business and saying things like, you know what, fucking, I know, uh, guess what, guess what? And we, me and me and, uh, me and and Corporal Becker had a joke, we had a running joke, you know how pissed off Sergeant Moore is by how many guess what's come out of his mouth in a five-minute span. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that was just some of the, you know, lessons learned. Um, yeah, and, and it wasn't that, that anybody was bad or worse. Um, and, and, and you were by far not the worst dude that I had over the course of my career. So that, that makes it makes you feel a little bit better. You, I have worse dudes than you. And it, because the, the things that were important, the truck was always running. We, we never had to get towed out of anywhere. Um, you know, the, yeah, there was freaking cigarettes and Mountain Dew cans and, and beer cans and everything everywhere and fake beer, not real beer. But right. in the truck, that's how we rolled. And like I say, there was there was plenty of worse people um, that, than than you. 
Well, that sort of makes me feel better uh, for what that's worth. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's the, the important thing to me, you know, is that, uh, you know, you know, obviously, you know, this many years later, uh, we still have cohesion. We can still talk. All of us are still maybe not quite as close knit of a, a group or a family that, that we, that we were because we kind of had to be, you know, when we were over there, we, each other was all we had as corny as that may sound or cliche as it may sound, but but you know, there's there there are long-lasting friendships, and probably some of these for a lifetime, that I wouldn't go back and change or trade uh, for you know for anything. Um, and so, without getting too fucking you know all you know you know mushy about the whole thing, um, I I really appreciated the time I had with everybody there, good or bad, because like you said, it's 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 all on a learning curve, and we had no clue what we were doing yet. Uh, you can train all you fucking want to. You can go, you know, anywhere in the country, you know, to, to any compound and go through any any kind of school or qualification. But nothing prepares you for that first dead body. And so, um, you know, I think we did a pretty fucking good job, all things considered. But um, I've actually been following your career fairly closely, uh, you know, the last 15 years. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you're currently a, um, uh, a marksmanship instructor. Do I have that right? I do that on the side right now. I was doing it my, my last couple of years in the Army. I was doing it, yeah, I was still Army, but I was focused more on that. After I left the Army, I haven't done done much instruction. I mean, I can mean, get back into it, but it, it's not a it's not a priority. Um, I was thinking about making that a career, and it's, I don't want to put it to, to music, but that that's like the closest thing that I can think of of, the, of being a musician. Because what do you have to do to be, to make it big as a musician? You have to spend time on the road. You have to get semi popular. You have to get you know do a lot of these things. That's that's a lot a lot of work for not a lot of pay. Uh, and, and yeah, it can pay off really big in the end. But it was just something that I thought I wanted to do, and. Once I popped out and got this job that I'm at now, it, it just hasn't been like uber priority. Um, I am writing a book though. I signed a book deal in March, so I'm, I'm writing a writing a book on the on the marksmanship stuff. I'm shooting, so once that once I get that written and get that published, I might get back into it a little bit. But I'm going to do it much smarter than I was, and just have a little bit better platform to do it. Well, congratulations on the book deal. I had no idea that was going on, um, or, or um, you know that that was that was even a thing you enjoy doing. Uh, what um, can you give? Can you give any of the listeners a little bit of insight as to kind of like maybe what it might be about, or maybe maybe a teaser of a title or something, or a release date? Well, it's a it release. I'm still writing it. Um, so basically, the way it turned out from May of 2012 until. Well, still now, I spend every day of work either shooting, typing about shooting, talking about shooting, or watching videos about shooting, uh, and teaching shooting. So that's a lot of a lot of bullets downrange, a lot of knowledge gained. Um, in 2015, rewrote the Army's marksmanship manual. So, and that. With, with the Army, there's a lot of bureaucracy in there, so the book didn't come out exactly how I wanted it. It came out cool, um, but it didn't come out exactly how I wanted it. And got the opportunity, once I got out, 
to, you know, a guy hit me up and he's like, hey, I want to do this book series. And so uh, there's going to be a total of seven books. Um, and there's going to be one main book on shooting. And then there's going to be six other books that are uh, weapon system specific. So there's going to be like an AR-15 book and there's going to be like a Glock book and a SIG book and, you know, basically these are little side things, you know, shotgun stuff like that. So what it'll do is it'll be like, you know, you want to start shooting an AR-15. Most people are going to find the AR-15 book and then, but they're going to basically wrap that book is going to be, it's going to be like, and if you want to shoot your AR-15 better, get this other book. But here's the AR-15 and how it works. So those two books together would give you a good idea on how to basically how to shoot the AR-15 and know stuff about it. Same thing with pistol, you know, whatever type of pistol you get, stuff like that. So it's going to be pretty cool. Got a lot of material. It's just putting it together the way that I want it. And the actual harder part that I found is putting it together where it doesn't sound like I'm copying the Army book. So I'd probably get away with that because I wrote the Army book, but it's still kind of, you know, I don't want to buy your book if I can go get this one for free. So it's, it's a little bit weird. It's actually a little bit harder, but and that, that's kind of, kind of what that's going on with the books. It's kind of cool. That is very cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually really excited for you about that. Um, no bullshit. Um, there are a lot of things that, that I, that I learned, uh, kind of under your tutelage, uh, if you will. Um, and not, not only not only spending time um, in theater, but also once we redeployed stateside uh, back here, uh, you know, to to our to our duty station, um, and some of the biggest things, some of the biggest lessons I took away from you were the ability to always have a plan, always to communicate effectively with your team, and if one person doesn't get it, then we've 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 basically kind of, I mean, the, the machine is broken down. And so being able to effectively communicate not only what you want to say, but in a way that the person gets it, um, uh, more than anything else, firearm discipline. And I don't just mean now kids keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot that deer or Turkey. Okay. You've only got one shot at this tag and we've got to feed Papa. So uh, I, I actually I don't know if you know about this. I'm sure you saw on, on Facebook, but I've shut my fucking Facebook down. Um, that's a whole nother story. But um, last November, went with a guy from work for the first time and got got me a fucking deer. Um, you know, 40 years old. I'd went a couple of times with friends, but holding that rifle and even though that you know even even though I was I was zeroed in and uh, you know uh, you know my optics were working correctly and I was gonna be you know, uh, you know, probably, uh, probably a quarter size accurate at a, at a, at a hundred meters. Um, when that, when that eight point buck walked about 40 yards up to my left and started gnawing on a branch, I, I got so excited and I freaked out a little bit and I didn't control my breathing. Like I learned a long, long time ago with you guys. And, um, I actually, I aimed for, I, I aimed for, uh, the kill zone. And I hit this motherfucker in the backbone and just ruined a ton of meat. Still got him. But um, a lot of what I learned specifically from you was firearm discipline and how to have a plan and how to know when to shoot and when not to shoot. So, um, uh, you know, as far as 
as far as you doing that on the side, uh, you know, do whatever makes you happy, obviously, but you've got a lot of information um, and, and a lot of experience, um, you know, that, uh, that, that people can, can really benefit from. And I'm, and I'm sure you've, you've probably influenced a lot of people over the years in that way. Doing my best. Doing my best. We, uh, I ran, ran a school at Fort Drum, and we had 1,600 students go through, and we fired right about right at about two million rounds um, in the in the two years that I ran that school. Jesus. So, yeah, we had a lot of people go through, and you know, but we got to we got to perfect a lot of things. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember it, but it's something that sticks out to me. Uh, we had to do a. We got told at like six o'clock at night that we were doing a raid on a school. Right. And we ended up that night. Then I got in trouble for it. It's one of the reasons I remember it. What we were talking about when we were doing the rehearsals for that raid. When I was talking about doing the room clearing and all that sort of stuff, everybody was looking at me like I had a dig run out of my forehead. So we were like teaching room clearing like six hours before this raid. Yeah, it Man. was it was it was rough. Yeah, especially a lot of the the younger the younger EMs just really had no clue. Um, I, I I didn't know what I was doing, not anywhere close to what you did. But but uh, it it was it it was a tough class to get through. I think just because a lot of people were tired and they were freaking out because we were so close to insertion. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah, and we were trying to because we didn't know, and then, then we go and hit the school, and there's you know a hundred rooms of nothing. Um, but it was, it was good that there was nothing at the school because we weren't ready for it, but it was, it was bad that we were training 10 minutes beforehand. Right. Now, you know, five or six schools or buildings after that, we were running pretty smooth, but, and that, that was one of the things that stuck with me when I was running that class because I wanted to, and that, that was part of it. It was um, a shooting class. It was like two weeks of shooting, and then there was two weeks of urban combat. And I pretty, I think I relayed that story every every class um, just to reiterate the fact that doing this stuff is something that you have to be trained. You have to be proficient at it because it can go bad really, really fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, it, it was good. We didn't we didn't have hardly any contact during that during that deployment. We had some we had some shooting stuff, but it wasn't wasn't anything exciting. Um, but the fact that we had to train it on the fly, and I didn't want anybody else to have to go through that because if there would have been dudes in any of those things, um, do you remember that bunker complex that we did? Uh, it was like in the middle of town and we went there one time and we, we ended up down in this, and it was like an underground bunker and it was like a command facility. It had like a range in it and all kinds of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that one was fucking scary, man. Yeah. Because we were trying to do it. We didn't have lights. I mean, this is 2003. We didn't have any of the cool weapon lights that we have now. We didn't have the cool lasers. We didn't have shit. We had night vision that there wasn't, it was underground bunkers. So there was no light in there. So you're not wanting to run around there with like your Kirkneck flashlight trying to find bad guys. Cause if there would have been people in there, we'd have been screwed. I mean, they couldn't see either, but it would have just been, been shitty. 
I mean, they would have had the element of surprise, obviously, because one, it's their home turf, and like you said, even though there there was there were, there were really no optics and and no no clear line of sight, you know, between between either side, good guy or bad guy. I mean, all they would have had to do was was you know hope and spray a few rounds, and and that would have probably been it for for at least a couple of guys for sure. Yeah, and that's the you know that that's the sort of lessons that I wanted. Just, we weren't ready for that. Yeah, I mean maybe, maybe by then we were pretty good because I don't remember that one being bad. But in those early days, we we were we were capped, man. We were supposed to be we were, and we were towed missile platoon at that. We were supposed to be sitting around shooting tanks. Right. And here we are in a town that's got millions of people in it clearing these things that we're not supposed to be doing with no training at it and with, with, with real life bad guys. It was just fucking dumb. And one of the other things that I tried to do is I would bring all the, you know, everybody likes to talk about the pogues and, you know, infantry and all the stuff. Well, everybody needed to be able to do that because we had the, we, we had the NBC guy, I forgot his name. I, I was thinking about it earlier, but. Heyman. His name. We had the guy. Yeah, Heyman. We, we had Heyman out there, and, you know, he's an NBC guy. We had Calmo guys. We had whoever. We had truck drivers from distro. So it doesn't matter what your fucking job is. You might end up having to do something where you're having to shoot bad guys, and you're having to maneuver. And that, that was one thing. So we always brought, you know, the support MOSs into the classes. We tried to get them in there. Um, they didn't always want to play, but we always tried to get, you know, everybody involved in it, because if you got a uniform and you got a gun, you're an army guy. And a lot of people don't want to admit that on both sides. The infantry people don't want to admit it. And then the support people don't want to admit it, that they have to do army things. And that, that was one of the, one of the biggest challenges over the, over the past years was getting that, that point laid out. It was just crazy. Right. Yeah, and I, I actually want to talk more about that training element, um, uh, you know, side of, of you know, especially uh, active duty personnel. But before that, we're going to take a quick break. This is the Anger Man's Carousel. All right, so we're back here on the Angry Man's Carousel with my good buddy Ash, and uh, we've been talking a little bit about kind of the lack of training that a lot of us got, um, you know, before actually deploying to, you know, a real, a real war type environment, not a war type, an <laughs> actual fucking war, um, you know, and it, it is what it is, um, you know, you know, some people got hurt or worse, but by and large, uh, specifically, uh, the guys uh, in our troop and Fox troop, uh, you know, we're pretty lucky, um, and, uh, but I, I'm actually curious, uh, Ash, um, you've obviously done a lot of work, um, you know, training um, all different kinds of people, um, you know, from all walks of life. And uh, Corporal Becker, one of the guys in our platoon, um, he made a really good point while we were over there. The fucking army is t- <laughs> seems to always be one war behind itself um, because... You know, we've got five, five, six during the Cold War, and now, you know, in uh, you know uh, uh, the first Gulf War, you know, we were kind of right on, but nobody was prepared for this urban combat and clearing rooms and you know doing tactical breaching and clearing, um, and here we are in Baghdad, a bunch of fucking basically kids, most of us, you know, trying to operate like a SWAT team, 
and uh, we, we, we obviously weren't ready for it and didn't know what we were doing. Uh, is there anything uh, do you feel that, that we can implement into current training now for active duty members that would actually help them be more prepared for, for, for the future of combat, which is obviously going to these skinny, starving people, you know, uh, you know, running up and down alleyways and, you know, clearing rooftops and, you know, um, going from room to room and stuff like that. And is there something currently in place? The, the biggest thing, if, if I was, if I was, I always call it being queen for the day, right? And king, queen, whatever. The, uh, if I could get people training on one thing, it'd be critical thinking. Uh, it's something that I don't want to say all parents, but a lot of parents um, kill in their, in their children, and it takes forever to get turned back on. Uh, you, you think about a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, they're always asking why, right? And they're just like, why, 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 why are we doing this? Hey, why are we doing that? Hey, you need to do this. Why? And we kind of beat it out of the kids. But if you, with that critical thinking, you know, if you start Googling on some critical thinking stuff, that's the first question that you should be asking is why. And that the problem with not having and having Robots, basically, that you know, discipline's good, and militaries run on discipline, and I got it. But and you don't always have time to explain why you're doing something. But if dudes aren't asking those questions and they're not thinking and they're just acting, when you're not there as the leader, they can't do anything. It's just like that remote control car. Um, the remote control car, once you stop steering it, it runs into whatever, right? So when you're doing room clearing, when you're doing urban op- operations, you're not always going to have a leader with those guys. And, and there was times when, when you guys didn't have an NCO leaning over, your, you know, over you when you're having to make critical decisions on life or death. Uh, Donning McKnight is the example of that when you know, he killed those dudes at the, at the power plant. Right. There was no NCO to shoot the gun. There was somebody shooting at him. He had to make that decision. Um, so with, you know, 18, 20 year old kids, they don't understand the job well enough to know why we're doing something. They know how to do it. You know, they've been trained. They know how, they know how to shoot a gun. They know how to do this. They know how to do something, but they don't know why. And they haven't learned to start thinking again. So you've got guys that are not making decisions or not understanding the situation because they never asked why. And that, that's, that's, that's the biggest thing. And because when you present new information to them, they just go, you know, because some dudes never figured out. They got like 20 years in the Army, and they've just been a drone for 20 years. And they might have rank, but they've just been a drone, so you're just like, hey, this thing changed. And they're just like, roger. And right. they executors that don't. They, they don't go, well, why did it change? And I'm I'm actually going to cut in right there if I can real fast. Sorry to interrupt you, but um, uh, that that's the thing now. Um, I I think I think for the younger generation, they're showing a uh, a greater lack of motivation, but they are definitely starting to exert some of some of those critical thinking skills that you're talking about. Because a lot of millennials today, if they don't understand why they're doing something, they don't want to fucking do it, and a lot of them have no problem telling you. And uh, if that's not proof enough, come talk to my fucking 17 year old twins who are graduating high school this year you'll see a perfect example of that but 
my one of my big things, and, and I'm, I'm sure you can, I'm sure you can recognize this too. I, I've always been a why guy, and I think that's part of why you and I always got along so well because I always had questions because I was hungry for knowledge and I wanted to learn. Right? Uh, uh, my attitude it wasn't always the best, but I was a I was a little 25 year old fuckhead. You know, it, it it was what it was, but. But I was always asking questions, and you were you t- usually had, if not the answer, a lot of information pointing me to an answer. Um, my biggest thing, as, especially as a fucking E1, E2, E3, even a specialist, like give me a break. You're gonna go talk to somebody, you know, almost twice your senior, and question, okay, but why are we doing it that way? Uh, some guys that are NCOs, it doesn't matter how you approach them. Look at Sergeant Doss, that fucking one tooth piece of shit. Uh, I've never liked that guy. And a big reason I didn't like him was because anytime you had a question, it didn't matter if you wanted to know, excuse me, Sergeant, permission to speak. Do you know what time chow is? He would light your fucking ass on fire and then step on your ashes and piss on them. So I think I think a lot of guys were afraid to ask questions because, because a lot of NCOs were just so hard on them. Uh, partly because they were pricks or the other part of it was they didn't know and they weren't willing to train. And just like I talked to my guest earlier today here on the show, uh, you're only as good as, as, as your subordinates, you know? So I think that's a great point that you made. And I would love to hear you expound on that a little bit. And and that's exactly it. And that's what I found with going through the ranks was they didn't want you to ask why is because they didn't know why, because they were just simply a drunk. They were just an overpaid private. And they, they had the power, though, but any time that you were just like, okay, dude, I'm, I'm executing what you wanted me to do. While I'm doing it, I'm digging the hole that you want dug. While I'm throwing dirt, explain to me why I'm doing this. Just shut the fuck up and dig the hole, because that dude didn't know why you were digging the hole in the first place. Right. Um, and I don't don't want to say all the NCOs, but I would say one in four right. are, the, are those dudes. And it comes from when they were kids, they got the, they got the Y beat out of them. And then when they were privates, they got treated the same way. They're just like, you, you don't ask why. And that's, that's one of the things that you know, everybody's in the army, just don't ask why. And now I'm here going, hey, you need to ask why. And, and there was times... And I had, didn't have this perfected with you guys, and it, but it was something that I learned from them. Um, I didn't like the whole using the rank all the time thing, but there was a time when there wasn't time to explain why. Um, so what I what I developed from that, from, from lessons learned with you guys, was if I addressed you by your rank, there wasn't time to, it wasn't a time to ask why. It was just execute. But as soon as I had the opportunity to go explain why you were doing that, I would come back and make sure that you knew why that was happening. Right. And it's and I, it's the same thing as parents, I, I think, too, because if you hear, you know, um, uh, you know, Jebediah, uh, Hormel Williamson, you get your butt in here. Well, you know, it's time to fucking, you know. Stand up straight and, and, and you know, and, and, and answer your dad exactly what the truth is about, you know, how the lamp got broken. But after it's all said and done and you got your ass whipped and you got sent to bed with no dinner, you know, the next morning, dad comes down and says, listen, 
son, I love you, but you know, I had to do that and here's why. And here's why I did what I did the way I did, you know, and it's not the military's job to, to parent these fucking kids. You know, I, 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 I absolutely agree with you. Um, but it's just, sometimes it's a real tough line to know how to walk because, you know, there were times I asked, why are we doing it this way? But it wasn't because I necessarily wanted the right answer. It was because I was in a pissed off mood because, you know, there was just a funk of of anger and boredom and sexual frustration going around the entire troop that you could cut with a fucking butter knife. You know, but there were times that people really do want to know why they're doing what they're doing, not not to question it or to be disrespectful, which I think, you know, is how a lot of those NCOs may, may have interpreted that signal. But, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to know where a subordinate's coming from. Uh, and I, I've experienced that too, managing people under me. You know, are you asking why? Because you want to know why? Because you want to understand the mission better? Or are you just are you just being a little prick? You know, so. Yeah, and, that's, and that was that fine balance. And, that, and I, I never don't want to say I perfected that, but I got better at that. And to where, because I have a temper. So when you come at me wrong, then... You know, and it was just, it was just both of us being in that shitty mood and you come in wrong and then I blow up on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, not necessarily every situation needed that. Right. But it was, Hey, you get the truck ready. Why are we getting the truck ready? Just get the fucking truck ready. You know, and that happened, you know, a thousand times where, you know, it was just like, you know, coming back to it and being able to control that and just be like, hey, I don't have time right now. So it just uses the rank. And that, and that worked, out, worked out pretty good. And it's that, that middle name thing. And that, that was just some of the harder things that, that NCOs don't get. And if, if people, if more people understood that, and, you know, say a young soldier comes in the Army and he understands that from basic training because a drill sergeant kind of has that, that sort of mentality, then he's going to be a better, better Joe because he's going to understand that because every leader changes. So if he, if he was working under Dodd or whoever, the asshole NCO, and then he comes to work for me, he does, it takes him six months to learn it. And then he's like, why aren't my other NCOs like this? Well, a year later, then everybody rotates out. He gets promoted. He goes to another unit. He either, you know, gets somebody that deals with him effectively or he ends up back under an asshole. So if, if it was, if it was the spread, and just be good leaders that understood that critical thinking. Because if everybody understood it, then when somebody did ask why, they're just like, okay, this guy's this guy's thinking or being an asshole. You know, what was his body language with? Okay, he's being an asshole. I'm going to destroy him. Or he was actually thinking and trying to get understand. And that, that's just interpersonal relationships at that point, rather than having to relearn the entire arm. That's it. That's the big thing that we're lacking because you present new information to people and we were doing it all the time. We just present it and they'd just be like, well, that's not the way we've always done it. Well, did you always do it correctly? Well, I deployed 17 times and brought all my soldiers back. Well, did you kill bad guys? Well, no. Well, does that mean you're doing it right just because you brought everybody back? Were you mission effective? Well, no, not really. Okay, well, here's a way to be effective and bring all your people back. And it was just, it was literally conversations just like that, hundreds of times presenting good information or new information that right. they just couldn't process it. Yeah, um, I don't know if you ever listened to the Jocko podcast, um, but uh, uh, it's, this guy's a former former Navy SEAL, 
And, um, I mean, he, this guy goes a lot longer than I do. Um, typically his episodes are almost, you know, a couple hours or more, but, but uh, recently there was a really, really good episode, um, uh, on leadership and why we're doing the things the way that we're doing them. And if we, if, if we can't, if we're not able to effectively, effectively communicate what we want and what we need to those who are looking up to us for answers, we're not doing our job. And, um, it's, it's just like, it's just like a, a you know, a, a football coach or whatever, uh, you know, this, you know, this, this football coach may be able to scream at the quarterback, but the running back, he has to, he has to talk to more calmly and the wide receiver, he's got to stroke his ego a little bit and the offensive lineman, he has to kind of make fun of his way to get him to move faster. I mean, you can't talk to everybody the same. And unfortunately, uh, this, listen, there's a lot of things about the old army that I miss. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Uh, and at the end of the day, rank is rank. But, you know, um, uh, I think just having that accountability between NCO and, you know, Joe or, you know, uh, you know, officer and NCO or just, you know, whatever the case, I think having that transparency to be able to say in any given moment or, or you know, any, any area of life that, that you actually experience leadership role in, being brave enough to say, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to find out or yeah, this is why we're doing it this way, and this is why it's effective, and let me show you why this works. And people really respond to that. So um, that's that's that, that's a really great place you're coming from. Um, can we talk a little bit about what you're currently doing right now? Yep. Yep. So right now I'm the government sales um, dude for a company called Knights Armament. Okay. Uh, Knights Armament. Uh, you remember the rails that we had on our – on our M4s that we got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice armor was the, the, well, my boss designed those and got the army to buy those. It was a, it's actually a pretty cool story. Uh, he spent like seven years getting the army to understand their need for something like that. And now we, now we don't do anything that doesn't have some sort of rail on it. Wow. Uh, but he designed it with Eugene Stoner that, that designed the, the original AR-15 and AR-10. Uh, and when Eugene sat down and, and came up with a way to, to put basically flashlights, um, because in the, they were watching, um, it was either Grenada or Panama, but they were watching the dudes doing those missions and they had literally had, you remember the old mag lights? Yeah. They were huge. They had the mag, yeah. And they had those with, um, hose clamps and they clamped them onto the guns. I remember. I see. I I saw a few guys at Camp Marlboro carrying those around. I was like, "Gee, what the fuck is happening right now?" Yeah. 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 And and we had to do some of that. Um, But so, Mister Knight was, um, you know, he was was working with Eugene Stoner. Uh, They had done a bunch of suppressor stuff in the the late seventies through the eighties, doing stuff for special operations, you know, suppressors and stuff like that. Um, and then that, the the rail rail got real big. Um, then the uh, the sniper rifle, the CSAS, the M110, the the snipers are carrying right now. That's a nice gun. Uh, so basically, left the army. I got out. Or I, I left, did my retirement ceremony, and started leave in December, the eighth of December. And I started here on the fifteenth of December. Wow. So, yeah, so it's, it's an amazing job, amazing company. Uh, got about 300 employees. We're in Titusville, Florida, which is right by Cape Canaveral. It's 
So basically, everybody knows where Orlando is or has an idea where Orlando is. Sure. You go east, east from Orlando to where the, basically where the space shuttle looks at off Cape Canaveral. The, uh, the factory is like right across the, basically across the, there's a little river. And we can watch the rocket launches from work. Um, <laughs> nice. So, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing now. Um, like I say, it, it's a it's a good enough job that I'm not trying to to hustle with the instruction stuff um, because it's it's one of those jobs that you know you got basically three factors with any job. Any anybody that's working anywhere, um, you have obviously pay and benefits. Then you have job satisfaction, you know, the actual actual work, and then you have the people that you work with. Um, got the benefit of having all three. Having two out of three is good, um, but I got the benefit of all three. I enjoy everybody I work with, enjoy the job, and the pay and benefits is good. So it, it worked out worked out really good. Um, they were they were actually up at Fort Benning about six months before I retired. Uh, the the sales rep, who's now my boss, was up at Benning, and we were literally at a bar having having some drinks. And he's like, "What are you doing out to the army?" And I was like, oh, "I don't know yet," but because it wasn't time to look for jobs yet, because I was about I was about six months out, like I said. And you you don't want to try and go get a fancy job, and then they're like, "Yeah, we want to hire you. Can you start tomorrow?" And you're like, "No, I can start in six months though." <laughs> so I hadn't even really started looking for work, and uh, he's like, "Why don't you come down to Florida and interview?" And I was like, okay. Um, and so, you know, everything worked out good. The, the coolest part about it, and 2000, it was 2013, um, the Knights Army rep came up to Fort Drum when I was running that course and did with some guns and showed some, some stuff off to the class. And it was, you know, five years before I got out. Didn't even know when I was getting out. And I was like, you know, I want to be that guy. And and it was just, you know, th- that sort of job, that sort of whatever, right? Well, I ended up five years later literally being, other than name, that guy. Same desk, same job. And so it was just kind of cool because that's what I was kind of working towards. And just the fact that it, it came down to exactly, you know, that, that gig and that desk, but it was, you know, it's just one of those cool things that, you know, happens in, you know, one in every 10,000 people. Not, not every five-year plan that I've made has come, come to, come to fruition like that, but that, that's just one of the cool things with the gig. So I, I spend my days talking about guns or shooting guns, which I've been doing for a long time, as I said. So that, that's just really cool. Yeah. You're probably about one of the luckiest guys I know. Um, I'm actually looking at the website right here. Night armco.com um, is where you can go to see their stuff. Now, I, I haven't got a chance to really look at the website yet, but um, is is a lot of the stuff available for just, you know, civilian purchase? Yep. Yeah, the thing with Knights, though, is <clears throat> Mr. Knight builds a very high-quality product. Um, and in this day of everybody building an AR, the disarmament stuff is not low-priced. But it is high value. Uh, just on AR-15s, that's what that's what everybody likes to talk about. So our our AR-15 is probably about double the price of what you're going to pay for everybody else's gun. Where the value comes in, it is though, 
most everybody else's gun is going to start to die at about eight to 10,000 rounds. You're going to start having issues with it. And ours is going 20,000 rounds. So you have a bigger initial cost, but it's going to last you longer. So it's, it's kind of like buying that, buying that performance car. Um, rather than buying the, the, the Mustang GT, you buy the Chevy 500 one. Right. Where you don't have to do much to the car and it's going to run, run harder and it's built by the factory. So it's going to run harder longer than if you start throwing, you know, Edelbrock parts into your Mustang GT. Uh, and, and it's just kind of that. So yeah, they're available for most everybody, but the, the price does scare a lot of people away. Well, I'm looking at some of the stuff here and it looks pretty fucking high speed. Um, now, uh, you got to be careful with the AR-15, Mr. Hess, because as you know, it's the devil's weapon. So uh, w- w- whenever that book comes out, you need to make sure to keep that out of the hands of leftists, okay? Yeah, well, they're, they're afraid of it anyway. It's weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, I just... we do our best to make thousands of them and sell thousands of them the way they're out there. Just in case, you know, just in case somebody needs a weapon of mass destruction, like we got a place to get them and they'll last forever. Sure, sure, absolutely. Now, um, one thing I do want to talk about uh, before we, before we, uh, you know, kind of move toward the end of the conversation tonight is, um, now obviously, listen, uh, you got a chance to work with me hands-on, side-by-side, you know, in a combat environment for a, a pretty good while. Um, you're well aware of my my abilities and my marksmanship skills and my discipline um, and my knowledge and my experience. Uh, obviously, I'm nowhere near your fucking god level, um, but I'd like to think I'm on my way um, and, and you know, slowly but surely getting there. Um, now, when, when I... It's a completely different thing having a shot group, you know, uh, at 300 meters with a shitty old 20-year-old, you know, M16 you know, thrown at you by some grumpy guy in the armory and having a shot group, you know, 300 meters the size of a dime and then getting out there in the woods and seeing something for a fraction of a second and knowing you only have seconds before that thing sees you or smells you or hears you and to put an effective clean kill shot on target, right? Um, that's a little bit what about what I, what I dealt with last year. And I don't know if you hunt, but I am gearing up for deer season. Uh, my buddy has created a monster. I am dying to get back out there and do it again. Um, are there some basic uh, standard shooting techniques or practices that you can share with our listeners that will not only make them more effective um, on the kill uh, when they're trying to harvest, you know, something, uh, you know, as, as you know, as far as food, but also just kind of, uh, you know, maybe for home defense or what are, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making and how can they correct those easily without having to go through, you know, a, a really big, you know, expensive seminar five states away? Yeah. So what we, you know, everybody talks about the fundamentals, right? And you probably remember the old, the old breathing and trigger squeeze and aiming and all that stuff. Um, what, what we found, though, is every shot that you take has a process. Like you were talking about shooting the, shooting the deer earlier, right? And even that shot had a process to it. You, you had the gun in your hand, but it wasn't mounted to your shoulder. You saw the deer. You brought the gun up. You did your aiming on it, and you did your shot, but your position wasn't good. 
because you were doing basically a snapshot and you rushed everything. So that process that you did, you rushed it, right? Right. But every shot has a process, right? So you you pick up the gun. Let's let's just say you're zeroing at the range, getting ready for deer season. Because if you if you don't go zero your gun before deer season, you're stupid. So <laughs> you're there at the range and. You know, you're at the bench because you're, you know, you're at Joe Bob's range and you're shooting off the bench, which you're not going to be doing when you're hunting. But you're at the bench and you're just zeroing the gun. So first thing you're going to do is you're going to set the gun in, get it aimed generally towards the target, and then you're going to mount the gun somehow. You're going to crawl up on it, and then you're going to set your sights where you want them, and then you're going to press the trigger. The gun's going to go off. The bullet's going to go somewhere, and then you're going to basically check your work. You're going to see where that bullet went, right? And that's just a basic shot process. Everybody that's ever shot a gun can understand that process. So the trick is building that process and practicing that process, even if you're not shooting a live round, practicing that process and just letting it happen. So anything that you're doing, like you're doing the music stuff, right? You don't think about playing chords on the guitar. But when you were first learning guitar, what did you think about? You thought about playing the chords and you thought about playing the notes. And then when you started playing music, you, once you knew the notes, then you started putting notes together and pretty soon you're, you're, you're rocking out on guitar. Shooting guns the same way. And it's still, the, it's that same process. Um, so once you figure out what that process is that you do for your shooting, then you can practice everything but firing a live round. I don't recommend firing a live round inside your house. It's a little awkward. <laughs> right. But you can practice everything. So if you're in, you know, your backyard or you're in that, you know, if you're not in a good neighborhood where you can have a gun out in the backyard and people freak out, in, in that spare room or in the living room or whatever, you can be have that gun basically mounted and you can snap that gun up for that that shot and have that process to be like, oh, I have my feet here because that's where I'm comfortable at. And the gun rotates good and it, and it ends up from behind the sight when, I, when I'm holding it here. And you can practice all those things and turn it into a process. And then, then it's going to happen more smooth. So next time when you have that same 40-yard shot, if you practice that process of doing that shot, then the gun would have just come up and the aim would have been there and then the gun would have went off and you would have hit it right in the kill zone. You wouldn't have wasted a bunch of meat and you wouldn't have had a cool story for a podcast. You just <laughs> had a good day. Right? Right. And so, but, you know, people hang on to these, you know, the old fundamentals and they, they hear some army dude talk or some marine about the fundamentals and they don't think about that shot process. Uh, all those fundamentals that everybody learned is in that shot process, but they don't tie it together until they go to shoot the gun. And then, so they're learning as they're doing the shot. And you don't want to be learning while you're doing something for real. And that's, that's the, that, that's the, 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 the tidbit that I'll give you is, you know, just practice that, come up with that process, even if you write it down. And, and you can get, you know, as you're practicing, you can get down in the weeds. You want, I want my foot here, and I want my foot here, and I want my hand here, and I want that. But then when you're out in the woods, when you bring that gun up, you can be like, you can take that half second of hesitation and just be like, hey, my right foot's in front of my left foot. Do I have time to put my put my left foot forward to be more comfortable? And it, it happens really fast. And then you're not thinking about the shot. You're just executing the shot. Right. All right. Yeah, well, that's, that's very good advice. Um, 
uh, one, I think, I think one big thing, um, a lot of people struggle with and, and, and listen, I mean, there's, there's plenty of guys that we serve with that fucking nailed, you know, they're 35 out of 40 or they're 38 out of 40, or in some cases a perfect score. Um, but you know, they leave the military and they're, and you know, they, they kind of forget it. Or, you know, like, like my wife went with me one time to the, to the range here in town and we, you know, put about, you know, 30 or 40 rounds through each one of our pistols, but it's just good to have a refresher on, on that kind on that stuff. Sometimes I think a big thing that, that, um, uh, at least I at first struggled with early in my military career and a lot of people I see struggling with now is their trigger squeeze and their breathing. Now, without getting into the, you know, uh, you know, I, a huge discussion about, you know, the fundamentals of those two aspects of the shot and going on for, you know, however long about it. What are two simple things, or I guess one simple thing for a trigger squeeze and for a, a, a breathing practice that, that you could, that you could kind of relay uh, to whoever might be, um, you know, hearing this uh, later on that they can do to, to make things, to make those two things go easier. Because uh, the other day I was watching, uh, an episode with Steven Ronella's Meat Eater, and uh, he took a couple of the uh, the gals from his uh, from his crew, from his film crew, out elk hunting in Colorado or Alaska or something like that. And they, you know, their breathing was up and down and up and down and side to side. And when it came time to make that kill shot, they were jerking that trigger. You know, what's uh, what's one thing that that people can do who might still be learning uh, the finer points of especially long range shooting that they can do to correct those things. The biggest thing with the that I see what people do with the trigger is when they want the shot to go fast, they pull the trigger fast. And they pull it with, you know, let's say the trigger breaks at six pounds. And they pull it with about 300 pounds worth of force. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a machine, right? All it is is it's some springs and some levers and some metal hanging on the edge of some other metal. So pulling it harder doesn't make it work better. And but that, that's what I see a lot of people do is they just smash the shit out of it. It's not, it's not jerking, right? Jerking is like a spasmic movement, right? They, they and, and you're in Missouri, so they, they mash it, right? And they, they, they try to break the trigger out of the gun. So when you're running the trigger, just move it to the amount of pressure that it needs and have some practice on it. It doesn't take much to figure out, hey, this takes this much pressure. That's what it feels like. And because if you press it, <clears throat> and with the amount of pressure that it needs, you're not going to be disturbing the gun. With um, shooting, we found there's two true statements about shooting a gun. Everything else that you've ever heard about shooting is makes these two things happen. Right? They're they're factors that go into the truth. So the truth is, the two truths are you have to properly point the weapon and you have to fire the weapon without moving that aim, right? So what happened with your deer shot was you fired the gun, but the gun had raised up from your point of aim, and so you'd move the gun while you were shooting it. So, and that's why your shot missed. And, you know, it could have been, could have been zero or it could have been whatever, right? But the crosshairs, the bullet did not go where the crosshairs were. So if you properly point the gun and you fire the gun without moving it, then your bullet is going to go where you aimed it to, 
that that's the truth. Everything else makes those two truths happen, right? So <clears throat> when you when you mash the shit out of the trigger, what does that gun do? And challenge anybody if they've got a gun around them, go ahead and make sure it's clear. Pick up the gun and just mash the shit out of trigger. What is going to happen is the gun's going to dip downward. Right. Because the trigger's on the bottom of the gun, right? Unless you have some weird thing, you're doing some crazy shooting it upside down like Jerry McAway or something. Which I do so, from time to time, yeah. Yeah, every, everybody does, right? <laughs> yeah. But, so if I just move that trigger back to the rear with that six pounds of force or whatever it is, three pounds, two pounds, you know, eight pounds, whatever it is, that much, the gun's just going to stay where it was. And so that's all I need to do, no matter when, how fast I need to take that shot. Um, one time, the last time I did for for speed, I was shooting a shot every 0.17 seconds out of my AR and hitting the target. It was close, but I was still hitting the target. So I was firing, you know, five shots a second. And that, that's the speed that I was that I was running at. And I was able to do that while still in the target, but I was only applying just enough pressure to the trigger to get it to go off. The, the other thing is with breathing and everybody, you know, the groups that go up and down, everybody says it's breathing, right? What that really is, the gun is moving up and down because your body's changing position from the breathing, right? This, the thing that you do with breathing is you don't shoot the gun when the sights aren't on the target. So if the sight's going up, don't shoot the gun yet. When the sight's in the center target, shoot the gun. And what people, they, they can't tie those two things together because the gun is moving. And then they're like, I want to shoot now. So what do they do? When they say now, they mash the shit out of the trigger. Right. Rather, rather than just watching that, because your, your breathing is always one pace. So if your breathing's moving the sight up and down, just making the trigger go with nice, nice, easy pressure, make the trigger go when the sights are at the center of it. And that, yes, that's harder than it sounds, but don't shoot the gun when the sights are higher, the sights are low. And yeah. don't make the gun move while you're running the trigger. Something that always really, really helped me out a lot, and it's something that you emphasized uh, during our time together, but... Um, you know, I, I, you hear it basic training, you hear it on, you know, um, you know, on, on, on deployment, you hear it, you know, at your local Joe Schmo range, you know, the best thing to do. And, and this is, this has really worked out for me as well. Um, and, and the big part of the problem with that buck last year was the fact that not only was it 30 degrees, not only had I been sitting there for six straight hours, I was a little bit stiff. I've got some early onset arthritis. Yes, only at 40 years old. I'm a loser. Um, not only was I was I super bored, the minute I saw this guy, I got so excited about seeing his fucking head on my wall <laughs> that I was in a standing position and I was leaning against the side of a tree. I'm right-handed, but I'm left-eye dominant. So I brought the rifle up. And after six hours of hanging on to this 308 Winchester, uh, my muscles had kind of had enough. My shoulders got stiff, but I had a perfect opportunity to make a great kill shot. But firing from that standing position has always been something that's been really challenging for me just because I haven't spent a lot of time on it. Um, but the information that you sh shared here today is going to be vastly helpful, uh, obviously not only to me, uh, but to a lot of other people out there who may not have the experience that we do. But it, you know, you're exactly right about the whole breathing thing. 
Um, something that helped me was taking a deep breath. When I knew I was ready to fire, I had a clear line of sight. I knew that my, you know, my round was going to be good. And I would take a deep breath in, deep, deep breath in. And I was, as I was letting it out, I got almost the, I basically let almost all the air out of my lungs and then stopped. And then as soon as I felt a hundred percent confident, not 99, but a hundred percent confident, I would let that trigger go. Um, and so that's something that's really helped me out a lot too. Yeah, and that's the that's the the I have time to do that. The biggest thing is just pause your breathing. The, you're not doing a five or six second hold on the, to do a shot, right? right. So you just <clears throat> stop breathing. When you're getting ready to do that shot, check your aim, do your shot. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that you know because a lot of people I've, I've seen them do this in competition and stuff, you know, you're ready to shoot the target and they're like, they're on the target, they've got perfect aim, and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, dude, your sights have been on target for like fucking 20 minutes. Why didn't you shoot then? Well, I have to do my breath. And <clears throat> so the, the trick of breathing is, and if you want to try this after I talk through it, you can do it now, but or you can do it later is focus, right? So what I have guys do is I have them hold their thumb out in front of them at arm's distance. And when, when you say focus, because we, we talk about focus on the front sight or the reticle that's in the gun, right? Now focus, people don't go for the depth of the word. So <clears throat> when you focus, and I want you to take one hand and put it on your chest and then hold your other hand out just so you can kind of feel what your breathing rate is. So when you put your thumb out there, focus. And I want you to basically burn through your thumbnail. I want you to visualize. I want you to see the blood flowing through your thumb. That kind of focus, that intense, concentrated focus. What you'll find is your breathing rate slows down. Dude, I'm, so, I'm doing it right now as you're talking about it. That's fucking crazy. That's really cool. So what I need is the breathing to stop so my sights stop moving, right? That, that's what, that's what the, the whole thing for that breath is. But you'll notice that you're still breathing, but it's at a very shallow rate because you're just simply focused on your thumb or the cocaine or the sight or whatever. So when you focus on that sight, <clears throat> focus to that extent, concentrate on it. Not just see it, not just it's in focus and it's clear and it's great. Focus on it. With, uh, with iron sights, you should be able to describe how the light is hitting the sight after every shot. So you think about that, and if people just push it up and they, they see that front sight and they're just like, okay, it's, it's, I've got sight alignment and I see the front sight. But if it's a metal sight, some light, whatever it is, you can see that. Or you can see the dot from a night sight. Uh, you should be able to describe that with very minute detail. Uh, the light was hitting the right-hand corner of the front sight, and it's got a shiny spot here, and I've got a flake in my tritium in my front sight post, that that sort of thing. Or my red dot looks like, actually looks like a football when I have it at this, you know, at, at this intensity or whatever. Um, that's the sort of focus that you would have, and your breathing is going to shallow, so your breathing isn't going to be as, as dramatic as that asshole that does the big... <laughs> 
when he's trying to shoot his target shot. Right, right. Uh, and you know, there's there's times when when you have time to do that, but for your for your snapshot on your deer, you're not going to have time to be like, you're going to be like, holy shit, there's a deer, boom. When did you have time for your deep breath on that? Right. So cause you're doing you're doing 15 other things in there. You're getting the gun up there. You're getting the sights. You're getting, you know. You know, a lot of the a lot of the honey scopes have the cool little bubbles in them for different ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, and like if you're shooting a bow, it's the same thing; it's still shooting. So bows have all the pins for a different range. So you're doing range estimation. You're like, how far is this deer away? You're doing all these things. You know, you're making sure that it, that it is actually a deer. You're you're trying to count how many points are on the buck. You're trying to do a bunch of things. And if you're used to doing that big breath, and you don't do that big breath, what's going to happen to your shot? So by getting that intense focus on it, because it doesn't take that long, your breathing's going to shallow, and you're just going to you're just going to burn onto the reticle, and you're going to be like, "There, that's my hole." Boom! You're going to do your shot, and in that, your breathing almost stops. Right. And you're taking over. You're you're short circuiting all those normal systems. So you could be. You're just like, "Holy shit! There's a deer!" Boom! And in that, at the end of deer, I pause my breathing. And that's a, that's that's those those in the mud details because the the whole breathing thing I got away from it because you know when when we went we didn't have that much gear right and we didn't do that much running we were in trucks but you think about a guy that's in you know carrying thirty five forty fifty pounds of gear now doing three to five second rushes around town is he gonna have you know after you've been sprinting and you've been running a lot um, so after you've been running, how hard is it to do that big deep breath? Oh, forget about it. Yeah, forget about it. Yeah, so if, if breathing is that important, right, and it's going to cause me to miss my shots, how am I going to hit anything once I get my heart rate up and my breathing rate up? So right. I know that's not true. Those guys are killing people, and they're you know, huffing and puffing and doing sprints, and adrenaline's happening, heart rate's up, and we're still killing people. So we had to take that and we're just like, okay, how how important is this? And what can we do to mitigate that? So you notice and the next time you go out running, once you stop running, you you know, just kind of be like, Okay, my breathing rate is here. Just look at something down the road, stop sign or whatever, just and do that intense focus on it and just watch how quick your breathing will slow. I'm gonna try that next time because I did eight miles a couple of days ago. And the only thing I was focused on was uh, getting my just dirty, disgusting balls out of my boxer shorts and into a bathtub. But I'm definitely going to try that next time. Um, And, you know, one last thing about that deer. Um, You're right. It was definitely a rush shot. And big part of the reason for that was just a little bit of an experience, a little bit of over anticipation, thinking too far ahead into the future about how good he would look on my wall and how full my freezer was going to be. Um, he was about thirty, yeah, between thirty and fifty yards. So I say, you know, forty yards is a is a nice round number. Um, he had just gone between two pin oaks, and I thought, well, fuck, like if I don't if I don't take, you know take advantage of this opportunity now, I might not get another one. And it was definitely rushed. Um, I had about a three foot window between these, you know, these two trees at about 40 yards. 
and uh, I took my aim, and I had a good side picture, but the execution was wasn't the follow through was not so good. So uh, listen, uh, Ash, listen, uh, I've really really enjoyed having you on tonight, and I think I feel a lot better prepared, not only uh, for deer season deer season coming up, but uh, you know for for the coming days that uh, I'm, I'm going to be going to the range, and and you've made a lot of not only marksmen, um, you know, uh, but a lot of hunters very very happy today with with you sharing uh you know a, a lot of the knowledge that that you've accrued over the years so i really really appreciate you coming on tonight man yep easy dick and then on my instagram which is ash.s and i got my <clears throat> my pro page on facebook I'm easy to find but I, I put a lot of shooting stuff on there so if anybody you know listens to this and they're just like they want to see more stuff by all means find me on facebook find me on the instagrams linkedin most of the most of the social media sites and that's basically <clears throat> either me or somebody on my page is talking about shooting pretty much 24 hours a day that's fucking awesome um, and also uh, uh, folks don't forget to check out uh, www.nightarmco that's A-R-M-C-O dot com um, and check out some other stuff there like he was talking about earlier you might pay a little bit more but Wherever the money goes, you're gonna get it back in value and productivity and lifespan of that weaponry and that and, and that equipment. And we'll be sure to put links, uh, you know, to the Facebook and the and, uh, Instagram pages um, uh, on 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 the show notes of this episode. So again, Ash, thanks so much for being here and uh, have yourself a good night. Yeah, enjoyed it. All right, again, that was my good buddy Ashley Hess. Ash is a badass um, and very thankful that he was able to come on the show today and share um, just some of the some of the knowledge that he's accrued over the years. Uh, gave a lot of really helpful advice. Um, like you said, you can find him on Instagram, ash.hess, and um, uh, go check, their fa- ch- check out their Facebook page as well. Um, but not only that, uh, the company that uh, Ash is working for, it's called Knights Armament, and that's with a K, as in the medieval knights. Knights of the Round Table of Camelot. If you haven't seen Monty Python, the Holy Grail, and you don't get that reference, you can go fuck yourself. All right. Um, it's uh, The website is www.kilo, November, India, Golf, Hotel, Tango, Alpha, Romeo, Mike, Charlie, Oscar.com. For those of you phonetically trained. And if you didn't understand that, you're probably already really, really stupid. So, like I said www.nightarmco.com or on Instagram, ash.hess. Again, thanks for listening, and that's all for this week, fuckers. Take care of yourselves, and don't be a douchebag. You've been on the Angry Man's Carousel. (laughs) 